On the show this week, we discuss the new global event changes following the ICC's announcements this week, international play in Europe, and Nick catches up with the star of the Kabuka tournament, Kenya Sarah Watoto. But first, a shout out to our Emerging Cricket patrons who help us do what we do. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an EC patron. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Emerging Cricket. As always, Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler join me for this one. Enjoy yet another EC pod. Welcome once again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick, and as always, I'm joined by Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler. First to you, Nick. How has your week been? It's been good. I've just made some uh, beetroot relish, uh, which has gone very well. So, got that to look forward to. What about you? Been cooking much, Bez? No, can't say I have been. Uh, too busy watching cricket. That's my excuse, and I'm um, sticking to it. We're, yeah, we're we're uh, keeping keeping to the basics. Both of us uh, have been pretty time poor of late, so uh, yeah, we've been trying to I don't know make the most of of all of that. And yeah, long dishes seem to be Mel's expertise and not mine. So uh, that's with you know for good reason, and I'm very much grateful for her cooking skills. Uh, because I can't Did really... you say that you were relishing Mel's food? Good one, Tim. Goodness gracious, we haven't even got a minute in and we're already talking smack. How are you, Timothy, over in Villa at the moment on another uh, evening in paradise? How are you? I am great, except the fact that I'm sitting outside in the pitch dark, which again, the audio nature of podcasts can only slightly grasp <laughs> badly, but um, I I am well. The uh, The weather is as cool as it will get at the moment, sort of uh, early 20s of an evening, so in, enjoying that while I can, but uh, season's in full swing here, and I, I may actually, you know, by the time people are listening to this on the weekend, I may have actually pulled the, uh, well, they're not the whites, but the colours on again to play. I'm, I'm umming and ahhing. Oh, look out. About, 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 uh, about getting in action. But, um, you know, if I snap something or I don't make it, you know, I love, I love everyone. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm well. I'm, I'm... Daniel, you're, you've got a new job. Tell me about your new job. Uh, yeah, this is probably going to be met with a little bit of contempt, I think, from a few people around. But uh, I'm somewhat behind the Iron Curtain. I've just picked up a job midweek, Tuesday to Thursday, for a digital company. And one of our clients is, drumroll, the International Crew Council. Dum, dum, dum. So dealing with a fair bit of their social media and their digital stuff in Australian daytime hours. It's a 24-hour operation. We have a few offices around the world which keeps the ICC's uh, media coverage going around the clock. Uh, written a couple of things up which you may have seen on the ICC website, a couple of match reports and some stories from some press conferences uh, from the World Test Championship final. But yes, I've unfortunately had to watch a fair bit of full member cricket, I suppose with no real associate international career going around of I've got an excuse, but yeah, that's all going well and trying to keep, yeah, as always busy with, with multiple sort of jobs on the go, but uh, enough time for us to record yet another EC pod. Let us know where you are listening with the hashtag EC pod. Uh, and first, a press release by the ICC. Did you write this one? 
No, I did not. Uh, <laughs> Liar. Just had to make sure it got up on the on the uh, site properly. But you're like a double agent. Lucky nobody listens to this. <laughs> you know, they don't know that you're there, kind of stealing all the information. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> no, I was I was good. Definitely abiding by all the rules. But a lot of things uh, happening at the moment, not necessarily good. And with COVID's grasp well and truly uh, strong on the international cricket calendar, particularly for associate members with qualification and cricket world. Cup League Two, uh, well, was said to be happening. Unfortunately, we've had another postponement of uh, another Cricket World Cup League Two series, that series between Namibia, Scotland, and Nepal. That Well, there was a bit of talk about it being moved to Spain. Some other tournaments have been moved to Spain. We'll talk about those in a minute. But we had heard that there was potential for this particular one to be played in La Manga or somewhere in Spain as an alternative to Scotland. Uh, A few COVID complications in Namibia. We know Nepal hasn't had it too easy, nor of Scotland. But Tim went looking at yet another postponement. I think this is the sixth series that was meant to be played in the in the tournament uh, and another one postponed. Again, you've got to look at the calendar and the schedule and, and you're starting to question now just, you know, how much road do we have left before things are severely truncated? And the answer is not a lot. Um, and knowing this all too well as we look towards qualification tournaments for the T20 World Cups that are approaching. So, of course, League Two is leading up to the 2023 Men's 50-over World Cup. There is more and more cricket being pushed and, I mean, like squished to these the back end of these dates. I know we're seeing that in East Asia Pacific. We've got an under-19s tournament that needs to be done by September and men's and women's that need to be done by November. So disappointed but not surprised that they weren't able to get the League 2 fixtures in. You know, you mentioned Scotland and Nepal's situation, but, you know, it seems that Namibia is now in the grip of alarming rise in cases too which it's it sounded like they were they were on top of it i know we mentioned it last week but that's that's concerning i guess that's the most important thing is everyone's everyone's health first but uh yeah we're seeing sub-regionals start to be cancelled and you know as we've discussed you know the challenges now come in that we're looking at at rankings as teams are being pushed up but yeah with two world cups in two years on the men's side it's going to get harder and harder and are we reaching an inevitability that we see rankings being used until we get through to a a global qualifier albeit perhaps the the odd regional qualifier that we're seeing in 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 spain i think i said in desert springs isn't it it's great that spain has two separate facilities that's able to um to host that little of cricket but you know like we talked about you know there's only so much that could be done if there was millions of dollars in the kitty to be putting bubbles around these regional qualification tournaments great but there's also a reality factor here as well but now being in an associate with a lot of thankfully we're able to train a lot that's hard enough for the players all this training all this training when are we actually going to get to play but we're one of the lucky ones in that there must be so many other places that haven't been able to train and still in various levels of lockdown or sort of yo-yo levels of lockdown being able to play for a bit and then back in again so just a, a tough time for all concerned. I can only imagine there's a very large whiteboard somewhere in ICC <laughs> headquarters in Dubai with all all the op- options and permutations. Chris Tetley is probably sitting there as, as head of events trying to figure out just how they can fit everything around at the moment. But Nick, looking at two of the events that at this stage are still running the women's t20 world cup europe qualifier has just been moved from scotland to spain still with the the same dates and then looking at the under 19 men's cricket world cup 
couple of teams have had to pull out in terms of the Europe qualifier there, curiously due to school commitments, and, and you'll get into that in a moment. But the consolation for us is that those two events are still running at this point. Uh, the women's one in August, late August, and the men's one, the under-19s one, in mid-September. So there has been an alternative, but it will still be difficult trying to get everyone in, in one spot in Spain to, to make sure that these events are played out and played out in the best possible way to find the right entrance or the right qualifiers out of them for future global tournaments. Yeah, it's it's obviously disappointing, as we've said, that you know they can't have them as originally planned and with as many teams because you know Denmark and Guernsey have had to pull out due to their school year and how it lines up with you know a lot of the the kids in these teams and I guess that's sort of the um a, a, another example of the reality of associate cricket and you know we see it with the men's or the women's you know the adult teams where a lot of the time they have to get time off work and sometimes they can't play and and that's one complicating factor and it's the same at the lower levels. They have school commitments and, you know, I guess the Danish schools are not going to let their kids just run off and and play a cricket tournament in in Spain at the the drop of a hat. So, um, yeah, like Tim said, it's good that Spain has these facilities and that it, you know, just having more options is is always helpful in terms of scheduling and, and, you know, having tournaments um, I, I don't know whether it's easier to get into Spain from various countries or what, what the thinking there is, but in the press release, I saw an interesting line where they said that rescheduling to September was the only viable option to determine on the field of play which teams will qualify. So that, and that was for the under-19s, uh, the men's under-19s tournament, the European qualifier. So it's interesting that they are making that commitment and that, that they do want to get teams on the field and you know not just go on rankings because I, I think there is a recognition that rankings or, or you know using rankings to determine qualification is um <laughs> suboptimal at best but yeah I, I guess like you said bez with with covid spiking around the place not a lot we can do just um you know everyone's health and, and safety really should come first and and it's frustrating if the cricket tournaments get cancelled, but at the end of the day, that, if that's what you know we need to do to keep people safe, I, I don't think there's too many complaints. Well, it's rankings for men's and women's. In the under-19s, it's performance over the last five events and the number of wins. So that brings another element as well for teams having to look back. And I think, I think it's five events, so three or five, that will determine which under-19s teams go through because there's no actual rankings there to play with. But either way... Yeah, it's suboptimal. You know, <laughs> we've never really talked about rankings, have we, lads? Um, so, you know, we should probably one day, we should probably bookmark some time to uh, to come back and discuss that. The under-19s is, is even tougher. You know, do you go on the last result in the last tournament? Because there's you know, so much turnover in underage cricket, you know, by nature of the fact it's un- it's underage. And to go off uh, the results of the previous five tournaments is, a, is an interesting take on on that as well. I guess it's a, it's a tough one, but you, you'd like not having to have these conversations. But yeah, I think that those dates though, Nick, in September, that's basically a drop dead date for all the regional qualifiers and under 19s. We know that from an, an EAP point of view as well, that if it's not held by the, I think it's the first or second week in September, then that's when they're going to start going on that performance-based ranking system. 
We'll be keeping you up to date with all the news in regards to those global tournaments and the qualification processes for them on EmergingCricket.com, so make sure to look out for that. Some other news before we do chat to Sarah Watoto. The Germany men's quadrangular series between the hosts France, Norway and Spain has been locked in from the 5th to the 8th of August in Krefeld. The tournament was originally due to be played in May, but was postponed due to a lockdown in Germany. Meanwhile, the women, Germany's women, uh, still taking on France from the 8th to the 10th of July and will be streamed by our friends over at the European Cricket Network. The teams will play two matches on the Thursday, one on the Friday, and another double header on the Saturday. An action has also begun at the Sofia T20 in Bulgaria. The hosts welcome Greece, Serbia, and Pavel Florence, Romania, and we'll have a rundown of the tournament on next week's show. For now, though, Nick sits down with the star of Kenya's Kubuka tournament campaign, Sarah Watoto, to discuss their victory, Kenya's political struggles in the game, and a whole lot more. Stick around. Hi, I'm Ryan Campbell, Dutch national head coach. You're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. So today, the Emerging Cricket Podcast is pleased to welcome current Kenyan women's player, Sarah Bakita Watoto, uh, onto the show to discuss the recent campaign at the Kwabuka tournament in Rwanda, as well as all things Kenyan cricket. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. So, you're a current player in the Kenyan team, and I'm just sort of wondering how you got into the sport and, you know, what's your personal story with cricket? I started playing cricket at a very young age. Uh, I was in primary school at around 11 years old. Yeah, and uh, the very first time I joined the national team, the Kenyan national team, I was 13. Yeah, and at that time, I was the youngest player in the team and uh, ever since cricket has been part of me I have been uh, playing it and right now I'm also coaching so I play and I coach at the same time. Yeah, that's a, a pretty common thing in, in women's cricket. A lot of players do start young. I was looking up your um, your stats and I saw you started in 2002 which is uh, you know quite a while ago. So what's the pathway for women's players? Uh, you said you got into it as a kid in primary school um, so, w- if you're playing well in primary school, how does it go from there to the national team? At that time, I was fortunate enough that uh, my coach, my primary school coach, doubled up as the national team coach. So, it was pretty easy for me to just transition from uh, school league to the to the national team. Of course, you called um, to the training to the training camp. You go and train, and then now from there you're given an opportunity to showcase your talent, and then now from there you you're chosen to to be in the national team. So yeah, um, at that time there were proper structures. Now from there, then there's a training, there's a national league, the ladies national league, and then now you're chosen into the national team. You you just mentioned the ladies national league. Is that going on right now, or is is that um, you know what's what's the situation with women's cricket and uh, and coronavirus in Kenya? Unfortunately, no. Uh, currently, nothing is going on. It's been a while since we've had a national league for the ladies. There's been a bit of a problem with the management and uh, the board. So everything came to a standstill. Although now, on the background, currently I'm working with the East Africa Character Development Trust, and uh, we coach kids from slum areas. And uh, we have just started a community-based program whereby we are able to to get kids from schools and then they come and play. So at least by the time everything is sorted out, 
in the national level will be able to have kids and they'll be fed into the program and there'll be a smooth transition. So we're just trying to do what we can at the grassroots level. And then when everything will be sorted, then it will be very easy to just flow. Mm. So you're currently coaching children's cricket um, and you mentioned the school system and you're doing some outreach stuff. So how, what's the, I guess, unifying thread there in, in the programs and um, is cricket, I mean, in Kenya generally, but especially for, for women and girls, is it mostly focused on the school system? It's not such a popular sport in Kenya, but uh, we have identified some of the schools in the slum areas. And uh, yeah, we are trying to sensitize also other schools so that they can come on board and uh, we can get a wide pool of players to also come on board. So it's not such a popular sport in Kenya, but we are really trying our best, not compared to football. I guess um, not much can compete with football in Kenya. Um, it's, it's more it's sort of an outreach with cricket to sort of underprivileged kids. Yeah, it's uh, called East Africa Character Development Trust. Actually, it's uh, we promote character just using cricket as a tool. So it's character development. We have a curriculum. Uh, we have identified seven key character traits, and uh, we use those traits to just uh, teach this character. It's basically life skill because we believe not everyone will be successful in cricket, but we want to give these kids a chance in life so that even if you don't work with cricket elsewhere, they'll be able to excel. So for those who are good in cricket, for those who continue, definitely we have a community-based program whereby we can pick kids from schools and then bring them and help them nurture their talent, their cricketing talent. Yeah, a, a lot of programs in uh, associated countries are sort of based around um, social projects as well as the sport. Is your focus mainly on girls or is it boys and girls together? I can say both, but uh, uh, not to be biased, I'm a girl, so <laughs> I tend to concentrate more on girls because, to be honest, uh, before I retire, I like to see someone who plays better cricket than I do, so yeah. Trying to bring up the next generation of uh, of spin bowlers, hey? Uh, I guess that's a good sort of lead into the Kubuka tournament and your performance there, you're the top wicket taker with 17 wickets across the tournament and two five-wicket hauls. I guess just looking personally, that's a fantastic return for any player. What do you think you did right as a bowler, especially in that final where you took six wickets against Namibia? <laughs> to be honest, I can't really attribute it to proper preparation because I think we were just in camp for a week. And uh, we had taken a two-year break. So, yeah, mm. we were doing a crash program. Uh, everything in one way compressed in, into just a week. So, uh, I guess experience, past experience, really helped in this game. And uh, uh, what was on my mind was just line and length, line and length. And uh, you just allow the batsman to do all the mistakes. Yeah, if it works, cool. If it doesn't, yeah, we... Live to fight another day. Well, it, it certainly worked. Um, I, that was one of the stories of the tournament, you know, was the fact that Kenya were late entrants. Uh, you, you weren't listed to, to be playing until very late before the tournament started. Um, and I know financial problems meant you couldn't get to the Kwebuka tournament in 2019. I guess, how disruptive 
was it that you had, you know, like you said, one one week of preparation before the tournament? And I guess if you hadn't played for two years, what was the preparation? Were you guys training sort of on your own to try and keep fit? Or, you know, what, what was the situation for the Kenyan women team? Uh, due to the wrangles, we had no board. So even when the invitation was sent to the administrators, there's, a, there's not much they could do at that time. So we reached out, there's a normalization committee that was put together with the Commission of Sports and uh, our cabinet secretary of sports in Kenya. And so we had a meeting with them and uh, we told them about the tournament. They had to go into a meeting and discuss because they also had their concerns since we were not uh, actively playing for two years. They were afraid that we were going to embarrass them. <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. It's very true. So they went into a meeting and discussed. Well, you won the thing. <laughs> I know. I know. And uh, I, to be honest, uh, that is uh, a miracle. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a very spiritual person. So I just believe that's God. So uh, they went into the meeting and they decided that, okay, fine. The last minute, we're going to to fund these girls to go to the tournament. Um, actually, we told them it wasn't the first time that uh, we didn't have enough time to prepare stores to participate in a tournament. It has happened before. So, yeah, we told them it's nothing new. And uh, we know we can actually put something up together and... Uh, be able to participate and perform well. So we just had to promise them that we're not going to embarrass them when we go to run. And uh, yeah, they decided just a week to the tournament. And uh, they made sure that funds came from the government and we were able to take place. Well, I guess um, yeah, now's probably a good time to, to bring up some of those administrative problems. So you mentioned there's the cabinet secretary and then you kind of didn't have a board. I think the government might have dissolved the board a year or two ago. I, I mean, I try and keep up in it and there's a lot going on. What's the actual situation at the moment with, with the administration and, and the government? Um, there's no board because I think their term ended. So they're supposed to have elections. So the normalization committee is supposed to run cricket normally until they're able to do their, their elections and put in place a board. So they're just there for a while. So is that committee from the Kenyan government? Yeah, Kenyan so- government, and most of them don't know anything about cricket. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's difficult as well. They're not from the sports ministry. Uh, like uh, the chair is a retired lady justice. She's not from the from the ministry. Right. So they've just chosen people to help out with the management. And uh, I think they've just chosen capable people who are able to manage cricket until they're able to hand it over. Mm, wow, that's um, that's something to overcome. Um, uh, you you just mentioned that you had to convince them to to let you go, and I'm just looking at the Kubuka tournament and you know the value of that to Rwanda and the you know the remembrance uh, of of the genocide and um in in terms of African women's cricket, you know, there's not a lot of competitions that that run outside of ICC programs. So, how important is this tournament? both for, for you guys in Kenya, but also, I guess, for, for African women's cricket more generally? Yeah, it's so true. And uh, 
sometimes I really feel like I was born in the wrong country <laughs> because I believe with the kind of talents that I have, I would really be making it big in another country, you see, England or India or New Zealand, you see, like, uh, there are very many opportunities there, but uh, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, yeah, I'm in Africa and uh, we just have to do with what we have and uh, more matches and uh, I think more coverage, exposure, because there's a lot of talent in Africa and uh, yeah, this tournament has just brought another opportunity for us to play and showcase our talent, really, and it was amazing that at least the games were were live and people could see what was there in Africa because I believe we are more than capable, more than capable. Yeah, well, there was that stream running and the visibility was quite high. You know, they got a few thousand people watching the final, I think it was. So I guess you as a player, knowing that thousands of people are watching you from all around the world, did, did that affect you and the way you played or did you kind of not really think about it? At some point, it was never on my mind really because <laughs> the game itself uh, really occupied my mind and uh, I needed a lot of concentration like at that time so it really just skipped my mind a bit but now afterwards definitely you just know that oh, all your mistakes are seen <laughs> by a lot of people yeah, and they're still there on the internet yeah yeah so <laughs> yeah but it's great it's good if we are to play in the highest level of cricket, then you have to get used to this. So, in terms of uh, your your talents and being able to develop your talents, and maybe not having as many opportunities being in the African region, have you personally thought of maybe moving to South Africa, I guess, or, or Zimbabwe as the full members in the region? Um, not South Africa, not uh, Zimbabwe. I was really thinking of maybe England, but it's very hard to even just get into county cricket in the United Kingdom. There was a time we had a we had a friendly matches with the United Armed Forces. United Kingdom Armed Forces, and most of them played in county cricket. And they told us that, whoa, you guys are more than qualified to play in county cricket. But again, it's uh, very hard to get a team in county cricket. Yeah, I've, mm. I've thought of that, but also the logistics and the kind of hard. But well, I wouldn't mind such an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, well, we. we um... We saw the news about Sandeep Lamanchane on the men's side having trouble getting into England with with visa problems as well. So it's not <laughs> it's not just African uh, women that are having this problem uh, trying to get into county cricket. I- I'm just looking at the uh, the Quibuka tournament and you know uh, Kenya's campaign throughout that tournament. You're beaten by Namibia in the group stage, and then um, you know regrouped in the final. Uh, wh- what do you think you as a team did? You know you 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 lost that first game and then. Um, yeah, what what changed in the in the final? Of course, we learned from our mistakes because uh, first of all, the one thing that really disappointed us in the first game was our batting. So uh, the middle order really crumbled. Uh, uh, the previous games, our openers did all the work, so our middle order was exposed at that time. And uh, since we had not batted in the previous games, it was a bit nerve-wracking in that game and we knew Namibia was quite a strong team 
so we had to apply ourselves so we just had a talk and uh, we decided to go back to the basics and uh, learn from the previous mistakes and also just tighten our fielding tight fielding was uh, actually the key because now if we constrain them to a very low score then it will be easy for us to come and chase yeah that's cool so i guess it was just a talk a talk was enough and uh, yeah we gave it our all and we decided to take all our chances and that paid off well yeah i i'm just thinking about women's cricket and women's associate cricket in you know especially you know, the low scores are very common. I'm just sort of wondering, from your side of things, why why do you think it is that the, on the women's side, the the batting seems to be the problem? Because as you yourself have shown, uh, there's no there's no shortage of good bowlers, but just a, the, a lot of the time the batters do struggle. Do you think that's just simply not playing enough on the field, or or is there something else? I think games would sort that, um, but it really needs a lot of experience in uh, match situations because you can do a lot of batting practice but now without proper variation with a bowler with a specific bowler and also just nerves i can see nerves because they are very good players but the nerves get a better of them so with more matches you would know how to handle that well just just on the batting um and and the improved batting showing you know margaret and gotcha the captain uh, hitting an, an unbeaten 30-something to you know, steer the chase home in the final. Um, she looked very confident. And I know Quintor Abel, the, the top run scorer for Kenya, had a good tournament as well. I, I'm just thinking, how much difference does it make just having a, a kind of a more confident mindset? Because comparing to Namibia, who in the past have been a bit timid, and, and they've talked about their new coach instilling a, a sense of fearlessness. And um, do you think that kind of mentality really helps in terms of um you know coming over the nerves as you as you put it yes it does uh you really have to be to be confident in the not timid and that is the kind of approach we also try with our top order batsmen because from the wide goal they're just ferocious you see like if the ball is there to hit just hit because the more the dot balls the more pressure you put on yourself so you should always be on the attack of course play the ball on merit but also know that if the ball comes in your area just attack it and you also mentioned i guess the lack of opportunities and and just needing to play more games um obviously this Kwibuka tournament is helpful in that but just looking at African regional cricket you know earlier in your career sort of in the earlier 2000s it seems like there were a number of women's competitions and you know some regional and division kind of things throughout Africa and done by the ICC would you say that the amount of cricket for women has gone up or down or or stayed the same over the course of your playing time? Uh, I can say it has gone down in a way because uh, we used to have at least three tournaments in a year, uh, three or four tournaments in a year uh, back in 2000. But as we progressed, sometimes you'd, you'd just get a tournament, a single tournament in a year, or even a whole year can go with that. So I think it has really, really gone down. And you know, how much has that affected the development of cricket um, for, for Kenyan women and you know, just not being able to get on the field? 
um you see sometimes you really need something to look forward to and uh, such tournaments give you motivation to even train hard and sometimes you train train hard for what for what people want to play at the highest level of cricket but uh well, without these opportunities the side and the motivation goes down so you find people to struggle yeah so it's trying to always bring out new breed you find very good talent but they find something else to do because now this has not become a priority because they have nothing to look forward to yeah and what do you think the ICC should be doing or could be doing um and i guess what do you think Kenyan cricket authorities should be doing as well one thing i feel ICC should do is uh, just get more fixtures for the ladies in Africa and also with the respective countries they should organize friendlies their countries who've never played with which has come to meet them in the qualifiers in the Africa qualifiers sometimes we don't even know if cricket exists in their countries so you see now if we come together maybe as Africa and then also have such tournaments like the Kibuka tournament and then throughout the year we are able to have six or seven tournaments you see that will really really help and also ICC if they could also look into it and just create more fixtures so that we can have even more competition and give these other teams around for their money it will be good because I remember back in 2016 we were invited to the UAE so we went to have a tournament there and we had never played with the other teams the likes of Qatar, UAE, Kuwait, Malaysia we had never played played them before and uh, it was good exposure and they also saw that wow Africa is no it has talent and uh, it's it's no joke so we played we played quite well and we actually won the tournament in 2016 at that time but we've never gotten an invitation again from that time so i think such tournaments really motivate the girls to play cricket Yeah, uh, I mean, I was looking up the scorecard for that. Uh, you scored some uh, some runs to get the chase home, and I, th- I think you took a couple of wickets too in the final there. Yeah. Um, so, but that that is something we talk about a lot um, at emerging cricket it, it is just being able to get those fixtures across regions, and in you know not just having African teams playing other African teams, and having more variety in in the opponents and the conditions. And would that sort of allow you to take the next step up in in your in your game? Yeah. that would really help and uh, you see also being exposed to stronger teams will help you go higher will help you improve because if you're always just playing in your level and basically in life if you want to move higher you need to move with people who are higher than you so yeah we need higher teams stronger teams for us to move on much higher Moving to the um, the Kenyan women's team as it currently stands, um, I know you sort of had to assemble it very quickly a week before the tournament. You know, what was that process like in, in just in terms of, you know, were you frantically making phone calls trying to get everyone, you know, get the band back together? Or? Uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't the easiest of things because now you see at that time, uh, some of our team members had given birth though on maternity leave. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah some of them were so unfit some of us were working and you see just getting permission from our bosses was not an easy thing 
the government had to intervene. And I can also understand them because it was so abrupt and was supposed to be in camp for like under half weeks and asking your boss for permission without prior notice. Uh, 20 days and be supposed to get fed for those 20 days. I could uh, understand their frustration. But yeah, just, I guess also, the girls were eager to play, so it wasn't so hard to get them. And uh, they were very receptive, and they, they came very fast. You, you mentioned that you, uh, you perceived the, the win as, a, as sort of a miracle uh, in, in the final. What's the, um, the, the culture of the team like? Have you played a lot together? Um, and you know, what's the kind of the vibe in, in, the, in the dressing room? Um, I remember there was a time we had a psychology session and uh, the lady who was taking us through told us that she has realized that we are very close-knit, we are close-knit and uh, that would really help us moving forward. So we've really played together for a long time. So even if we've been away from each other for two years, it wasn't a hard thing coming together and just playing and having fun because that is also our mantra. We want to have fun when we're playing because cricket is already frustrating enough for the pressure and war. So when you have fun together, <laughs> it makes it easy. And just looking at women's cricket in Kenya, you know, what's the, the playing base in terms of player numbers and um, you know, number of clubs, number of you know, just women playing? Okay, there was a time the numbers really dwindled and uh, we could barely make five teams like at that time. But uh, now, with other organizations coming in, like the organization I'm working with, uh, the numbers are gradually going up. So now I know uh, in the next couple of months, we'll be able to have more than eight so that's eight teams in the women's club league and what are the access to the facilities uh, for women especially compared to men is there training facilities available is there turf pitches is it astroturf um, what, what's the access like currently the, the grounds that we have they're private they're private so it's very hard for us to access the grounds, proper facilities. But again, sorry, credit to organization. We are trying to, with a community project, so we are doing tasks, the Astro tasks, in two or three schools. So that will ease the burden and it will be accessible to so many people, to so many girls. That is something that we've we've seen a lot. I guess even even you know on the men's side, just the difficulty of accessing facilities because they are privately owned. And so, is this cricket scene sort of mostly focused in Nairobi, or is it uh, around the country as well? Basically, it's in Nairobi, but at least Nakuru, Nakuru have been really active with cricket as well because half of our national team comes from Nakuru, so it's majorly in Nairobi and Nakuru. And I guess, what, what are you trying to do to work around the, the problem of the clubs being privately owned? 
with the community-based program, we are putting in place AstroTurfs. So here yeah, we'll just work with that as we see how things are going to be done in these other, other grounds. And maybe uh, we hope that the government is just going to help us get one ground, one public ground, whereby we'll be able to access without stress. So just having one public ground would make a big difference? It will. It will make a big difference. And I guess that's that's difficult because, as you said earlier, you know, cricket isn't a major sport in Kenya. I'm just sort of wondering, what is the place of cricket in the Kenyan public imagination? Do many people kind of at least know what it is or, or is it a bit of a mystery to most people? Because I saw some pictures of um, newspapers in Kenya. You know, you guys made the front page when you won the Kwabuka tournament, but is that still pretty uncommon to have that sort of coverage? Uh, at some point, cricket was well known, especially when Kenya was uh, was playing in the World Cup. And uh, at that time, when they made it to the semifinals, uh, it was quite popular at that time. But uh, with time uh, and the performance, uh, the popularity went down a bit. So now, not so many people know about cricket. But as I said before, we are trying to work on that and sensitizing people on uh, on the sport, yeah, and also introducing cricket to public schools because it's also associated with posh schools. You see, like when the the Indian school, the international schools, yeah. So we're trying to really bring it down to the grassroots level, yeah, so that even the most basic school can know what cricket is. I remember reading an article about the, you know, the famous 2003 team and, and it was talking about how a lot of the top players, they got into cricket because they sort of lived across the road from one of those private clubs and they, yeah, they had to play around the people who were in the club and they, they didn't really, you know, the, the, the game didn't make it easy for them. So I guess... What are you trying to do? You, you mentioned the public schools program and the, the outreach stuff and, and trying to get a public field. So is, is it sort of a case of cricket exists in the private sphere in, on one level, but then you're trying to bring it down to the, the common people, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's it because uh, only the international schools and uh, the Indian schools take it seriously. Uh, so we are trying to marginalise out of Nairobi, not just Nairobi. Yeah, because there was a time we went to Busia and uh, we we went and introduced cricket to some of the schools and they had never heard about it. And uh, when, we, when we did the introduction, we could really see a lot of talent and with just enough follow-up, we can be able to get really good talent from, from the villages as well. And I guess this this goes back to the um, the facilities and the resources problem. How, how do you, on I assume a very tight budget, um, how do you kind of develop that talent that you're seeing in at the grassroots level? You know, how do you form that into a team without access to to these good facilities? Yeah, as I said before, uh, we can't really just sit down and wait for for the facilities to open their doors to us so we're just going to work with what we have if we can set uh, with uh, our organization is a, is a uk-based organization charitable organization so at least we find well wishes who can help us put us to task 
in place uh, in, in the community so the kids can have easy access to it. So we'll be able to nurture talents there as we wait for greater opportunities. Now, we, we mentioned that 2003 team, the, the Cricket World Cup, in South Africa, where they, they made the semi-finals, um, that was around the time you were starting out in the national team. So, it, it, just thinking as a fan, you know, what was it like seeing that and and you know having that moment where you get to the semi-finals and it's it's an African World Cup in two thousand and three, and then it just sort of all goes downhill from there, and the Kenyan team can't maintain that level and they they you know there's been a lot of administrative problems as as you've alluded to yeah what's it like trying to follow the team through all the bad times and and was it discouraging for you yeah i can say it was it was a bit discouraging because with the with also the poor performances it meant funding also went down you know right so things couldn't be done the same way so they had to cut foreign some expenses. Uh, I think what really kept us going was the passion. We were so passionate about the game. And uh, we're still optimistic that things will look up and we'll still go back to where we were before. So I think a lot of people view that 2003 World Cup as a, a huge missed opportunity. Uh, what, what do you think went wrong um, other than just... You know, the performances didn't continue, but what could or should have been done after that moment? I guess uh, proper management, really. I would really attribute it to just wrangles and bad management because if we had proper management, we'd have proper structures and uh, would have continuity, you see. So it's, it's, it happened that many players retired and they couldn't get a replacement. So when you're able to get a replacement for one talent that goes out, then there's that flow and continuity. So there were no proper structures in place at that time. So that really affected because now uh, the, the crop of players that we are dealing with right now maybe will help salvage cricket in the next 10 years. You see, that was... Now we're trying to do, uh, we're trying to manage the problem, uh, damage control, I can say. So maybe just give it, give it 10 years for these kids to, to be able to fit into those big shoes. But if proper management would have been in place at that time, then we wouldn't be facing such problems. So it's sort of a bit like starting again from scratch. Yeah. Basically, if we're to move, we have to start to start from scratch. Wow! And um, you've you've talked about the administrative issues, and and you've talked about the development efforts going on. Um, what? Who are some talented Kenyan players to look out for in that sort of next few years? Especially maybe someone who played in the Kubuka tournament, or, or you know, someone back home who who didn't get in the squad. Uh, I can see Lavenda. Lavenda Alivitsa and uh, her sister Melvin Dumbo. Uh, Lavenda was our opening bowler. And uh, even in the finals, I think they opened with her sister Melvin. Those are two players to really look out for. And it's just amazing that they came from, from the project that we're doing in our organization. They're from the schools. Uh, this, the organization started out in 2014 and they were... 
there were some of the beneficiaries. So Lavender right now is in high school, secondary school, and her sister is soon joining secondary school. So they played in the in the league, in our leagues that we had. And then at times they were able to play in the Division Three National League in Kenya. Yeah, so from there they have really moved up the ranks. And uh, it was the debut, it was a debut for Melvin, and she did quite well. Yeah, so those two, they are players to look out for in the next year. So, yeah, it's a, it's a proud moment for us as well. To um, kind of round back to the, the Kuboko tournament, do, do you see Kenya going back and, and defending their title next year, or are you worried about not, not making it again? because of the financial and administrative problems? Uh, right now, with the, with the team that was selected to actually just manage cricket in Kenya, I believe things are going to look up. And uh, in the next three months, we'll be able to have an election, or maybe next month, not so sure, but we'll be able to have elections and then have a new board. Then now from there, we can work out things. So I'm sure next next year we'll be able to go and uh, defend our title. So ne- next year, Kenyan cricket will be a bit more stable. You heard it here first. Um, this is uh, a bit of a tradition for the Emerging Cricket podcast and, and, and our guests. And what we like to do is ask our guests, if there was a law in cricket that they could change, what would it be and why? Uh, personally, as a batsman, I would really like to have more chances to bat. So, yeah, <laughs> if they could just uh, give us like three chances. So this is this is always the thing with with all rounders is we we find out if they're a batting all rounder or a bowling all rounder based on their you know do they make it easier for bowlers or batters so uh, I, I guess you're a batting all rounder. Personally, uh, it's funny how I did magic with a ball, but uh, my forty is batting. I'm actually considered as a batwoman in our team. And uh, even my coach told me that, okay, uh, congratulations, but uh, we do not acknowledge <laughs> that, really. We wanted you to shine with the bat. <laughs> well, Sarah Bakita, also known as Sarah Watoto, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thanks for telling us about Kenyan cricket, and we hope to see you on the field sooner rather than later. Thank you. Thanks again to Sarah for joining us on the show. That's all we've got time for this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. Pass the pot around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as two US dollars a month. You'll get access to extended cuts of a number of our shows and you'll have a say on the show's direction. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Culler and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.